think you guys know Apostle Derek Finn. He's preached here before, Brother Derek Finn, many years ago. In fact, the first time I've come to the church, I came with Pastor Derek Finn and introduced to Pastor Werner, the Ella in the congregation, uh, through my father-in-law, uh, famous, fa famously known as uh, Brother Eddie. Yeah. So that same man, Pastor Derek Finn, is the one that taught us and trained us and mentored us. And the one uh, belief, the one value, virtue he was very strong on was when we grace the pulpit, when we come before God's people, when we speak God's word, when we have this honor, this privilege to present, you know, the word before God's children, is like we've always got to approach it softly. We always got to approach it humbly and never be eager to be in the front here uh, because this is God's people we're talking to. So we dare not come in this space with a diluted or a polluted approach. We've got to come with nothing but the word of God. Uh, nothing but the Holy Spirit. Amen. Nothing but the kingdom agenda. Nothing but the values and the, and, and the virtues of God's word. The beauty and the treasures that lie therein. Whether it's sometimes offensive, healing, rebuking in whatever way, shape, and form, we dare not pollute God's word. So, I say that to say this, I stand here before you guys very humbly, not arrogant at all, because I know that it is the last days. Time is short, and we cannot waste these dying moments by playing games. So thank you to the church, thank you to Pastor Werner, Mr. Ella, for the comp for inviting me to just uh, participate in the kingdom service with you guys this morning. I'm humbled and honored. Thank you. Brother Herbie is a friend of mine. He's been in the ministry way longer than I have and served as a mentor and one of the guys that I always would turn to in times of confusion uncertainty as a young person, you know, we'd go, uh, I don't know if you guys know Brother Kurt, but we came here many years ago with Brother Kurt, and we'd run 10, camp, 10 crusades in South Africa. We were about 19 or 20 years old, eh, Brother Herbs, but 19 or 20 years old, and we were like, we don't want girlfriends. We're not trying to make no money. We don't want to be fancy and whatever. All we were interested in is preaching God's word. So this friend and I, we put our money together, like I'm a welder by trade, so I'd go in and weld, make some money and whatever, raise it up, not buy a car, not buy an apartment, not buy clothes, and we'd rent a plot of land, we'd put up a, 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 a marquee or a tent, and we'd have um, services, and we'd just preach, you know, and we wouldn't take up offerings, because we were eager, zealous young men, no, we're not taking up no offerings, and we'd go and we'd preach, and God would move. And being young men in the ministry, it was scary. It was intimidating, you know. And we were just running with like raw enthusiasm. And we needed guidance. And Brother Herbie is like the guys we turned to. Like, Brother Herbie, hey, look, we stuck here. How do we get out of it? And it supports us. So that's who Herbie is to me, guys. Just so a bit of a background, Brother Herbie. Uh, and he's just graced us with, I think, three days. He'll be in, in Melbourne, it is. Yeah, yeah. He's going to be leaving us for Perth. I don't know why he would go to Perth. You know, and well, imagine two weeks in Perth. Who goes to Perth? But we forgive him. We forgive him. Anyway, 
we're going to preach uh, Acts chapter 10, verses 34 to 35. Acts chapter 10, verse 34 to 35. The Bible reads like this. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. I will read it again. This is the NIV, the New International Version. Then Peter began to speak and say, I, know, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but he accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Let us pray. Father, we come again before you this morning in Jesus' name, thanking you for this time in your presence with your saints, your sons, your daughters, men, women, boys, and girls in this house. I ask you to undertake, and God meets us all, everybody represented here, every family and nationality and home. Touch them, touch us all in a great and mighty way. Change us, transform us, that we may be relevant in this generation, that we may be relevant in the 21st century, that we might be relevant, and Father God, practical, in this age. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Peter says, I realize now that it's true that God doesn't show favoritism, right? But God accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. And does what is right. We're living in an age where no one does what is right. We live in an age where be it at school, university, place of work, in churches, in communities, in government, in corrections, in policing facilities, people are not doing what is right. People are not marrying in a way that is right. People are not living in a way that is right. Look at social media. The communication in that space is not what is right. Every day of my life, I work in a school with the children of ex-prisoners, or rather children of prisoners, and the conduct from these young people is not what is right. There's a suicide increase among young girls because of cyberbullying, because the conversation in that space is not right. The world we're living in has forgotten that which is right. Right has been made to become wrong. What is Biblical is being viewed as negative and contrary. The values that undergird Christianity are being challenged and almost toppled over by the new right, the new system that's telling us this is the way to think. But I'm challenging you, church, as I challenge adults and parents every day. We've got to cling on and hold on to that which is right. 
the church of the 21st century has got to rise up and hold on to that which we believe is right. We've got to be that minority that speaks out the truth of that which is right. As simple as that sounds, it is profound to do. It's a challenge to do. It's difficult to do. But it requires someone. It requires a young man, a young girl, an old man, an old lady to rise up and fill in that void that is missing in our society, the world all over. To do that which is right and vocalize it and stand behind it and back it up. Who's familiar with the brand called Nike? Yeah, it's a popular brand. Nike began as an unknown brand. Adidas was before Nike. Many other brands were before Nike. Fuller, all of these. But the reason why the brand of Nike grew and become bigger, because the CEOs, so the CEO and the different executives of the Nike company backed up by faith certain sporting individuals, and they stood behind those individuals with their brand in the dark times. So when those individuals become popular, the brand became popular. But for that brand to become popular, they had to stand behind a champion who was unknown. And when a champion broke out into the light and was known by the world all over as a champion, the brand was made known. How does that relate to us today? As the church of God, as believers, you and I have got to stand and back the brand of Christianity. We have to stand and back the word of God. We have to stand and back the precepts, the principles, and the values of the word of God. While it's dark times, stand true and stand fast and hold up the banner of Christianity so that when that time comes, and the light shines bright. Christianity once again takes the forefront. Because at the, at the moment, we've got too many movements that are before Christianity. Too many movements in our schools. I'm in the schooling system. There's too many movements in that space that are controlling your children's thinking. Too many systems in that place that are redirecting the way your child views life, religion, God. They're all out there. You and I as the ambassadors of God, as the ambassadors of heaven, as the ambassadors of Jesus Christ have got to stay true to what is right and perpetuate the narrative, the true narrative of Christianity, the way God wants it to be out there. That time is now, and that time has come. Time for us to rise up. Time for us to get up and get out. It's time for us to be the difference in our society. It's time for us to be relevant in the 21st century. You've got to be relevant You've got to be in time and on time. I heard a guy say one time, if you go to the shopping center after hours with enough money to buy whatever item you like, say you're into watches. You see there's a nice uh, shop in the shopping center that sells gold watches that you kind of like, but the hours are from 9 till 5, 
uh, 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. But if you rock up there at 7 o'clock, the money in your pocket means nothing. You're not relevant. Your timing is out. So even though you've got the resources to buy that which you desire, but your timing is out. You've got to readjust your timing so you are relevant. You get there between the hours of 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Then only can your resource be of any use. It's time that you and I as a church of God rise up and be relevant in the society and do that which is right. Represent Jesus Christ. Represent the values of God. Represent the truth of God. Someone said to me, Johnny, why are you so hell-bent on this Jesus? Why are you always pushing the agenda of Christ and God and religion? Why all the time? Psychologists, they challenge me every day. I work with them. Social workers, they challenge me every day. They think within a certain context. They were taught and they were trained in uni, you see. They've got degrees and diplomas, etc. They're smart. They know all the terminology. They talk about diagnoses. Pastor Werner, do you know the amount of diagnoses there are for children? ADHD, ASD, ADS. Oh my gosh. When I talk with them, they spew out all of these diagnoses and all of these things, and they tell me that's the problem with the world today. And I obviously disagree. And they say to me, Johnny, why do you disagree? We went to university to understand this concept. We went to study the mind, the brain, emotions. We went to learn about social and emotional well-being. We went to school for this. We paid thousands of dollars to be smart like this. Why do you, why do you think you know better? I argue back and I say, I don't know better. I only know Jesus. How do you mean you know Jesus? I know that he works. I know that he's effective. I know that his values, I know that his power is influential. I know that he is relevant in the life of a young person. Johnny, how do you know this? I know it because I once was blind, but now I see. I once was lost, but now I am found. Simplify it for us, they say, Johnny. Well, I break it down for them. I was a drug addict. Jesus came, and in an instant, no rehabilitation, in an in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, delivered me, changed me, and transformed me. That's why I'm confident. Oh my God, Johnny, what do you mean? I did not go to university because I didn't have to. I'm not undermining it. Don't get me wrong. You continue study, please. Go to school. I now drop out and be like, well, Pastor Werner, I'm dropping out of uni because Johnny said, no, 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 no. You continue. You continue going to school. Okay. But I'm trying to explain to you the power of God is far beyond medicine. The power of God is far beyond psychology. The power of God is far beyond what a university degree can give you. The power of God is instantaneous healing, delivery. My God, deliverance. I'm talking about a psychological transformation. Mental wellness healed. Anxiety healed. Stress, suicidal thoughts, healed in Jesus' name. Rebellion, healed and cured in the name of Jesus. Because Jesus Christ, his word is the only power that can change. It's the only authority that can put under subject the power of the wicked one. There's nothing else. 
Silver and gold is not strong enough. Policies are not strong enough. Hypnosis, not strong enough. Counseling sessions, not strong enough. The only hope for the 21st century, the only hope for the young person in Australia is Jesus. The only hope for a marriage is Jesus. The only hope for, I'm talking about, look at the news, the only hope for crime is Jesus. The only hope for sickness and disease is Jesus. There's no other hope. We are it. You and I are the front runners. We are the cure for this world. They may not recognize us. They may not acknowledge us, but we are it. Nothing else. Oh, but Johnny, you sound arrogant. No, I'm confident. I said to the one lady, I've seen the devil. I've seen his works. I've seen him transform a human being into an animal. I've seen him do it. I've seen him change a human being. Somebody's son, I've seen him make that person a beast that can kill another person. I've seen him do it. I know he's real. But guess what? In the same breath, I've seen the power of God transform that very person to a preacher. I've seen him transform that very person to a saint. I've seen the power of God in the most adverse circumstances. This is why I say you and I have got to rise up and do and cling to that which is right. God shows no favoritism. If you desire him to do more for you, he can do more for you. This is not a complicated thing. Can we turn to 1 Kings 17, verses 9? 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 9, from verses 9 till 12, yeah? 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 9, reads like this. Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. This is God speaking to his prophet, Elijah. I have, that, I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So Elijah went to Zarephath, and when he get, got to the uh, town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called and said, Bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. I only have a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and to make a meal for myself and my son that we might eat and die. This was during the time of a great famine in the land. Famine, the scarcity of food, a scarcity of water. I think the estimated time was between three, three and a half years. So the nation is suffering. The nation is in drought. The nation is in famine at sad times. Everybody is in what I like to call survival mode. So survival mode, the young people know survival mode. Survival mode, young people, is when... Your phone is on 2% battery power. You can relate to that one. If you want to see young people panic, you want to see young people move fast, when their battery power is at 5% battery life and they've got to be on Instagram, oh my gosh. They've got to be on TikTok, oh my goodness. You see them get, become industrious kick down walls. I've got to get a charger. Okay. 
That's survival mode. Survival mode means things are bad. There's not enough to spare. There's not enough to share. The nation has a famine in the land. Everybody is in survival mode. Things are bad. God speaks to the prophet Elijah. God says to him, Elijah, go to Gentile territory. That's outside of Israel. Go to Gentile territory. Zarephath, Sidon, Sidon. The Bible scholars say that that's where Jezebel was from. God sends Elijah there. He says, there I've instructed an old lady, a widow, to provide you with food. Things are bad. Elijah makes his way there. He gets there, and he sees the widow. Now, widows back in the day were poor. Widows were known to have nothing. They were broke, broke, broke. Not the widows of the 21st century. Widows today got TV shows. Yeah? Housewives of Atlanta. Housewives of Johannesburg. Housewives of this part of Australia. You know, they're multi-millionaires. That's the widows of today. But widows back then were poor. They had nothing. This lady basically has gone to prepare herself a final meal so she can eat and her and her son can die. She was locked in survival mode. She sees the prophet. The prophet, the prophet instructs her, tells her what's going on. And she refers, if you read carefully, when she talks back to the prophets, she says to him, your God, right? She refers to God as your God. It's not her God. She's a Gentile. She's a Baal worshiper. She's not a, the God of Israel follower. No, she worships Baal, right? So she refers, she talks to Elijah and says, your God. You see, what am I saying? This lady was standing before the anointing, standing before limitless power locked in in Elijah. She was standing before a representative of God, a holy man, a pure man. Within him lied an endless supply of flour and oil for her. Within Elijah lied the resurrection of her own son. Within Elijah lied her salvation during the famine. Within Elijah lied her future. Within Elijah lied every single answer to her prayers. Within Elijah lied the virtue of the Holy One. Within Elijah lied everything she could ask, imagine, or think of, and even more. But this lady doesn't see that because this lady was stuck in survival mode. She was too busy surviving but not thriving. Spurgeon, to quote him, he says that this lady was not supposed to survive, but she was supposed to serve. But because she was stuck in survival mode, she couldn't serve and a blessing couldn't come upon her at that time because she was too busy surviving. I'm saying that to say this. Us as a 21st century church generation, we are in survival mode. There's a famine in the land spiritually. And the churches and the Christians are too busy surviving. We read in the word, but in the comfort of our shelter. We are worshiping God, but in the comfort of our shelter. We are in hideout, 
serving God beautifully as congregations, but in hideout, survival mode. God has not called us to be in survival mode. You see, people who are busy surviving are not fighting. People who are too busy surviving are not serving. People who are too busy surviving are not thriving. I'll simplify it even more for us. Who knows Muhammad Ali, formerly known as Cassius Clay? Boxer. What was he known for? Victories, knockouts, as a heavyweight champion. Yeah? Think about it. We remember him for his victory. When was his victory out of 10 rounds? His victory was only in round number 10. That's when his victory was. Only number 10, number 9, sometimes number 4. But his first few rounds, we don't remember him for that too much. He never knocked anybody out in those first few rounds. What was he doing? He was doing rope-a-dope. He was surviving, yeah? He was busy wearing out his opponent. But that never made him win the match. While he was surviving and blocking the shots, Cassius Clay was not winning any match. While he was on round number five, ducking and diving, he was not winning the fight. He was surviving. Round number eight, he's ducking, he's diving. He's whispering to his opponent's ear. He's making the opponent mad. The opponents are swinging punches. He's not winning the match. He's surviving. It's only when he comes out of survival mode and he starts to attack, that's when he gets the victory. You see, sir, the church, for us to be victorious as Christians, for us to be victorious as children of God, as ambassadors of heaven here on earth, in order for us to win this fight, we've got to come out of survival mode, come out of our hiding, and start throwing punches, and start being relevant and present in this time. Then only God can be glorified. In order for a light to be seen, it's got to be shining brightly from under the table. In order for the gospel to get heard, it's got to be spoken. How can it be heard? It's got to be a preacher. How can it be a preacher without him being sent? We've got to be visible, audible, practical, present. We've got to be outside of our comfort zone, outside of survival mode, and in the game, fighting, getting dirty, getting in there, fighting. Attack, attack, attack. That's the mission for God, hallelujah, in our lives. In order for God to be glorified in your home, husband, you've got to rise up. Mother, in order for God to be glorified in your home among your daughters, you have got to rise up for change to take place. You've got to get out of your comfort zone, hit them knees, talk to God, and engage the Father. You've got to be out there. This lady, the widow, as long as she was surviving, she couldn't be blessed. But the moment she steps out by faith from survival mode, by faith she steps out and says to Elijah, yes, I'll make you that food that you want. I will go in and I'll prepare it for you. She steps out of the attitude of survival. She gets into the attitude of service, an attitude of giving, an attitude of faith in action. Once she engages God in her actions, remember now, this is a Baal worshiper. This is a Gentile, impure woman. She engages by faith 
and starts to serve. And once she starts to serve, the miracle transpires in her life and she has an endless supply of resources. She has an endless supply of oil and flour. Her son gets sick and he dies. But because she has out of survival mode mentality, she's in servanthood mentality, her son is resurrected from the dead in the midst of a famine. Because she's become a child of faith. Someone who engaged God and said, God, I will take you at your word and do it, even though I don't feel it, see it, or think it. I will obey and I will do the right thing. Time has come. Time has come for change, for transformation. Time has come for us, you and me, to be the front runners in this time and in this dispensation. Make no mistake, it's going to get ugly, but you've got to be in the front. Before I close, I'm going to testify to you. Every day I'm with secular people, every day, every day I'm with experts that believe in science over God. They believe in mental health counseling above the God's precepts. I had a meeting with the principal of the school I'm at. And he says, Johnny, we're in this community that needs help. The young people, they don't have a clue what to do. The teenagers, they lost. We've tried all the resources. We've used them up, and we're not winning. We're not getting any further with our mission. We've got a 65%, I think it is, uh, dropout rate. These kids aren't interested in anything. What can we do? I said to the man, the only thing I know to do is perpetuate, preach God's word. That's all I know. I don't know anything more than that. I know the values, the precepts of the word of God. That's all I know. I know Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I know that. I know the parables. I know the Psalms. I know that. I know the blood of Jesus. I know that. I'm like, I, this is all I know. This is in a government school that's commonly known to reject the word of God. But because the need was so great, I said, Johnny, let's try. Go ahead. Do what you got to do. I stepped into that place, into that space, and I began to pep- perpetuate the word of God the way I know. I began to testify to them about the stuff that I know God can do. And it was met with much contradiction, much challenges from the experts of the day. So after a month, two months, three months, they went back to their drawing board and they measured using their statistics. They looked at the data. They said, according to the data, the things that I'm doing at that space are working. According to their data. They used their measuring instruments. According to that, the tactics and the virtues of the word of God are changing those young people's lives in a secular environment. What am I saying to you? When you engage God, you step out of that survival attitude and you become a server, God shows himself to be true. I'm challenging you today to engage God by faith. What is it? What is it? That God wants you to do? What is that thing that you, God has been just needling at you to get involved with? What is it? That thought that's been just 
in the back of your mind. Every now and again, it comes to the front. What is that thing that God is telling you to do? But you've been like, nah, the law is against me. Society is against me. I don't have the money for it. I don't have the time. What is that one thing? That's the thing that God wants to do and use you to do, as difficult as it may be, as antagonistic as you may think it is. God is able to use you to transform a generation. I'm seeing the hand of God in a space that is godless, in a space that's anti-God, in a space that tells you boys and girls are fluid. There's no boy and girl. It just depends on the day. I mean that world with the rainbow colors. I mean that world. That's the world I'm at, and I'm challenging them head on. All they can do is tell me, okay, Johnny, we don't want your services no more. But I'm gone now a whole year plus some in that space, doing what I'm doing here today. You see? So nothing is impossible for the Lord if you engage him. I'm challenging your faith. I'm speaking to the man inside of you. Say, the faith man, rise up. Rise up. I know it's a famine out there. I know it's difficult. I know it's tough. But God is calling you to rise up, church. Yeah, he's calling you to rise up. There's the impossible that's about to take place. But you've got to engage him. We're going to pray. We're going to pray. And I know the, the struggle of faith. I know that. I've been down that road. I know, I know that war, that internal war that rages. I know it. I know it. But I know over and above all of that, God is greater. God is greater. Even as I make this altar call this morning, I want to relate to you an experience a man had a long time ago. He was living in a home and he was terrorized by the devil, demonic forces, day and night and night and day. And he didn't know how to fix it. He called different experts to help him and they couldn't help him. He battled. And one day his neighbor said to him, why don't you try this man called Jesus? Invite him into your home and he'll change and transform everything for you. And the man done this. He invited Jesus. And in this, he had a mansion, like a huge property with many, many rooms. And he's gotten Jesus to come into this house and he says, Jesus, I prepared the biggest and the best room for you. I have, like this room has everything. You've got a cool air, you've got cool bedding, you've got cool, it's a lovely place. Jesus, this one bedroom, it's yours. I want you to occupy every corner of this room. It's yours, Jesus. I'm giving it to you. All I want from you is a peaceful night's rest. Jesus says, thank you. He gets into this room and man locks the door. The man goes to bed and he has the roughest night of his life. Gets up in the morning, the first thing he does, he goes to the room where Jesus was living and he kicks the door down and he says, Jesus, you're supposed to be the Prince of Peace, but I never had peace last night. He says, Jesus, you're supposed to be the hope to give me rest. I never had rest last night. I was tormented by these demons and his spirits. He says, Jesus, why? I thought you were so good. I thought you were supreme. I thought you were great and mighty, but nothing's happened to me. Nothing's happened for me. Jesus says to this man, no, that's not true. He says, the room you gave me was peaceful. That room you gave me had no demonic forces. That room you gave me was perfect. He says, if you had given me your house, I would have given you peace in your house. But you only gave me one room. What am I saying to you this morning, church? Let's give God all of us, not just one piece of us. If you want him to transform you entirely, give him all of you. If you want him to work miracles inside your life, 
Give him all of you. Give him your mind, your body. Give him your finances. Give him your marriage. Give him your relationships. Give him your thought process. Give him your social media. Give him everything. Give him all of you for him to be everything he can be in that space. We're going to pray. You're saying, preacher man, I want prayer. Just right there in your seat. Put your hand up. Put it down again, and I'm going to pray for you. Johnny, I need prayer. I need boldness. Girl. Put your hand up, and we're going to pray. Trust God for boldness. You need a revelation. Put your hand up. Thank you. And God is going to bless you and touch you and transform you. And all for the herb juice, rise up right there in your seat. And just pray. Pray a prayer of breakthrough. Pray a prayer of transformation. There's hands that went up this morning, and I know that they went up by faith, trusting him for the impossible. If you can, just pray for us, Brother Herbie, and trust God for the impossible for the many that raised their hands this morning. Hallelujah.